the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, forgiving, <coughs> visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Those are verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34, which is the passage under consideration here during this season of Lent in 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are um, looking today at what would be the fourth attribute. The first three are really just names of God. So Yahweh, Yahweh, El. So we've got those things, and, and those are the way that God relates to creation, Right, so so the, those would describe the kind of mercy, the divine attributes of mercy that we're looking at. They would describe the kind of mercy that is given to all creatures, and and that's the reason I, I used um, Genesis nine, where God makes the covenant with the rainbow, and it's a covenant with all of creation, and and now we move towards more personal and individualized forms of mercy. And so the, the next one is it's translated frequently um, merciful, but the word, better word really is compassionate. And the reason I say that is the word itself, rachun, is only ever used of God. In the, in the whole Old Testament, that word is only used of God. So it, it's, it's the, its translation really is compassionate. And it's just, but it's, again, I have to say this again and again, these are not um, feelings or emotions of God. These are the ways in which he deals with humankind. And that is that that he he deals with us in a way that we would characterize as compassionate. But but it's not, like I said, it's not a feeling, it's a characteristic. So that that's the better way of thinking about these things. These are these are modes of dealing with humankind, and that would be characterized as compassionate. And that word rahum is only ever used of God. Every single time it's used, it only refers to acts of God. It, it, it's a magnification of human compassion. Is probably a better way to say it. And it's clearly got something to do with with the way that God is always going to deal with us. And, and that is, is that justice is an important concept, right? So, so everything really needs to be just. In, in other words, the wrongdoing has to be dealt with. Things have to be exposed and brought into the light. And so we, we know that from the world that we live in, that, that we believe and we know, in fact, there's a lot hidden from our view. Well, we also know there's nothing hidden from God's view. And so the, the way that, that he wants to deal with us is by bringing those things into the light, and he is the light. And then in the light, we can see what these things really are, their sin. And that's the reason that, that John will say that darkness has never overcome the light. It's the reason Paul will talk constantly about things that are done in darkness. But now we belong to the kingdom of light. In other words, our conduct should be characterized by what people would do in the light if other people were observing them. And so that, that's the way God deals with us, though, is he has to bring those things into the light. And sometimes we don't want to deal with those things, and sometimes God makes it so that we don't have any choice but to deal with those things. And so when he created us, 
He, he brought all this into existence with the possibility of sin, but Jesus was slain for the foundation of the world, so we know that he knew what was going to happen. And the only way that he could create this world and sustain this world and allow the world to continue is on this basis, basis of compassion. He understands the situation that we're in. So he deals with us in justice. Justice is important. Justice will ultimately be done. We, along the way, we who are his children, have the right to come before him and ask forgiveness. We have that right, and it's a glorious thing that we have the right to do that. Do we avail ourselves of it? Well, how often do you do confession? How often do you confess your sins before the Lord? It's important that we do. It's important that we do it all the time. And so, it, because it recognizes that we agree with him. That's what confessio means. It means agreement. So what we want to do is we want to be in agreement with God with what constitutes right conduct and right behavior. Because that way, we're judging it ourselves as we go along. We're asking for more than justice. We're recognizing that justice would mean death. We're asking for the mercy of Christ, his blood poured out on the cross. The mercy is there and it's available. We just have to appropriate it, and we do so by confessing our sins, agreeing with God, and then repenting, turning away from those things, putting them in the past, moving in a different direction as though we found that direction abhorrent. So then, so where does mercy come in if he's dealing with this injustice, right? So where does it come in? Well, it comes in this way. It comes in in the same way that if you picture a courtroom proceeding, right? So you've got a courtroom proceeding, and we know this takes place all the time. Sometimes it's wrong. It's wrongly applied. And here's the way that I mean about that. So, so we can be tried for a crime. Did you do this? That's the simple thing. I had lunch with a friend of mine this week, in fact, talked about this very thing. Did you do this? A friend was a, a school teacher, and he was mentoring uh, at-risk kids as part of what he did. He's done it for a long, long time. And so in, in a classroom setting, this kid loses his mind. They're about to, he's about to get into a fight with somebody else. My friend was mentoring him. He took the kid, put his hands on him, put him up against the wall, put his hands on the wall on either side of him, and stood there and talked to him and calmed down the situation. Right? So the problem is, that's a crime. If somebody wants to press charges, and they chose to do it, they did, it's a crime. It's assault, because it's an unwanted touching. And so when my friend put hands on this kid and put him against the wall, it, that was unwanted touching. There was no harm. There was no harm at all in this. And so it, it, they, they talked to him, and, and the, the attorney said, you know, you, you might want a plea bargain here. And, and my friend said, I'm not going to plea bargain. I'm just going to confess. Yes, I did that. I'm going to enter a guilty plea. Well, his attorney didn't want him to do it. Because he said, well, if you do that, then you know, the, the judge has less sort of options and all that. So you need to make a special pleading for what happened, plead special circumstances, and then say, in this situation, yada, 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 I was preventing harm. Therefore, while I may have done something that is technically an assault, 
it was done in order to prevent something much worse happening. But my friend said, no, they charged me with assault. That's the definition of assault. I'm pleading guilty. And then we'll just let the chips fall. And that's exactly what he did. In spite of the fact that his attorney told him not to do it. He pled guilty. And he said the judge sat there, put his head in his hands, shook his head, looked around, <sighs> sighed, and finally said, well, I have to do something. But he understood the situation. And so what he gave him was a year of unsupervised uh, probation. And I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, I think it just means essentially don't get arrested for assault. He said, because I don't have a probation officer. I don't have anything like that. He said, so at the end of a year, I guess it just goes away. And that is Rahun. What the judge did right there is Rahun. What he did was he evaluated the situation. Technically, there was guilt. But then he evaluated the entirety of the situation, the special circumstances under which this happened. And then in the penalty phase, so justice is done. My friend admitted, yes, if that's the definition of assault, then I technically did that. So that, that's the, the trial phase. Yes, I'm guilty of doing exactly what that says. But, but then, now it comes to the judge's discretion about what to do and what is truly just in this situation. And, and I think this judge got it right. I mean, my friend's never done anything like that in his entire life, and he did it out of, a, out of, out of love because he'd been mentoring this kid. And he didn't want to see him get into trouble. And so he, he decided to take charge of the situation immediately. Could there possibly have been a better way to do it? I have no idea. I wasn't there. I'm not judging my friend on this. I know him. I trust him. I've known him a long time. He's never, never harmed anybody, except for when he played football. But th- this, this was how Rahun plays itself out. It, it's the judge now has a decision to make. If there had been a jury there, they could have found him guilty, but my friend pleaded guilty. So now the judge has the discretion about what to do with the penalty phase, and what he did was, in my mind, the right thing. I don't see this guy as a danger to society at large. I don't think we even have to keep an eye on him. It's just Let's just kind of put it out there and let it hang for a year and see what happens. And I think that was exactly the right thing to do, but that's what God's compassionate part is it takes into account the special circumstances of the individual he didn't look at it and say well here are all the circumstances around that thing no he looked at my friend as a human being and said this guy's intentions are good they were not wrong and while yes he did violate the law i don't find him a danger continually violate the law so here's what i'm going to do i'm, I'm going to lighten the sentencing phase on this thing and he had the discretion to do that and god has everything in his discretion and so god's compassion takes into account our special circumstances and and that's true on a personal individual basis as well as those who are created in his image basis it's the basis, in fact, for the incarnation to say, I understand. I'm taking into account the situation in which you find yourselves in an unjust world characterized by sin. 
And, and so I, I see that. I understand that and I know that. And therefore, I have a solution for that. I take pity on you. I have compassion on you because I understand your situation far better than you even understand your situation. It's what Job found so compelling in God giving him the argument that he did rather than the answers that he sought. He knew God understood. He knew that because God showed up. And so it's the, the, the miracle and the wonder of the incarnation is expressed in Rachun, because that's how we know God knows. He understands our situation, and we know it. We could know it intuitively, but does he care is a second question. And, and then the incarnation answers that question. We know God knows. We know God cares. And we know it because he came here as one of us. He understands our individual situations, and he understands our general situation. He knows us as individuals. I knew you before I created you in your mother's womb. He knows these things about us. And, it, and it's one of the beautiful and wonderful things about the way he worked through the prophets and then the way that he worked through the disciples and the apostles, Paul, and the others that he raised up after that. He never overwhelmed their humanity. He used their weak, broken, feeble humanity as a means of his glory because he infused it with his Holy Spirit. And that changes everything but it doesn't change our humanity. And so he recognizes our weakness, and he came in the form of Jesus and experienced that weakness. The, the writer of Hebrews says this again and again and again. He says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's for a little while was lower than the angels. Now, though, we see him crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We know that he knows. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He came to make us free from the fear of death. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then goes on in a couple of chapters later, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, and that's exactly the kind of high priest we need. 
exactly the kind of high priest we need. We need one who can identify with us, and we need one who chose to identify with us, and that's what we have in Jesus, a high priest who chose to identify with us in weakness. He who had never known separation from the Father came to show us, I understand, and now we know for all time that we have a Messiah, we have a high priest, we have a God who understands our difficulties. And so when he looks on us, he looks on us, those who confess, with compassion because he understands the situation we find ourselves in, and that is our special pleading, and he becomes that special pleading because he sits before the throne of the Father on the right hand of the Father and pleads for us sinners in order that Father would have mercy upon us. And he does so because of his love for the Son, and his Son laid down his life for us. In the greatest act of compassion anybody ever could make in their entire lives, a, 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 a single man without sin took on all sin in the universe. One of the greatest stories, which, which is uh, iffy, let's say, as far as its, its inclusion in, in the uh, scriptures are concerned, is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Right? So they bring him to him and say, what, what, you know, stoning is the, is the punishment here. That's the punishment phase. And what does Jesus say? He gets down and he writes in the dust. And we don't know what he wrote in the dust. And then he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So in that situation, Jesus was asked to be the judge. They asked him to be a judge. And so he did. We don't know what he wrote in the, in the dirt. But we do know that when he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, they could have stoned her, but there was one requirement that had to be met. A sinless person had to cast the first stone. It happens. The only one who ever lived was there and said it. When he chose not to do it, they couldn't. And that's the way it is. That's what it means to have rachum. It's to say, I have compassion on this person who is before me. And I could do any manner of things in the punishment phase. I'm choosing not to. That's the greatest strength in the entire world. It is the strength to say, I'm going to act in love rather than judgment. And, and that's exactly what Jesus said. And then he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. She knew it and he knew it. She had been caught in the middle of sin. Jesus didn't deny it. The truth was there. However, he had compassion on her, and in the sentencing phase, he chose simply to forgive. That's the compassion that we need. It's the kind of God we need because of the world that we live in. And then when we recognize that the world we live in is a result of what we have done and a result of God's mercy that he doesn't destroy us every time we sin, then we can see the great love, the great abeyance of judgment and God's commitment to love and mercy and compassion. And we recognize that word only truly should and could be applied to him.